Amen and amen. How many of you had a bowl of cereal this morning? Raise your hand. How many of you had two bowls of cereal? Raise your hand. How many of you had three bowls of cereal? Just two of us? I had three bowls of cereal. I'm not going to lie. I had a great time. I love some cereal, and I hope that you do. We're glad that you're here today. You could be anywhere in the world, but the fact that you chose to worship with us means the world to us. You made our day when you walked through the door. And before you're seated and we dive in, I want you to look 17 people in the eye and say, I love you. Okay? Don't touch nobody, okay? Yeah, air fives are great. Some waves. Yeah. It's a little different when we do it that way, isn't it? <laughs> Let's dive into the Word today. Hang with me for a second. I, I will tell you, I learned a lot about our church family this morning. Um, I realize some of you are very weird when it comes to your cereal choices. Raisin Bran? Really? It's soggy when it starts. Raisin Bran Crunch? I learned some of you are so weird. And how many of you, you don't, how many of you that bowl wore you out? Because like I don't eat with a little bowl at home, man. It's like a big bowl. Amen, right? And, and I, I want to know, I want to know how many of you eat cereal with a little spoon. How many of you get the biggest spoon in the drawer? Man, that's what I'm talking about. Wear yourself out with that little spoon. Look, I'm not even in the message yet. I got to deal with something, okay? Last night, I was talking to a dear friend, and we were talking about cereal. And I, I'm having some struggles in my heart this morning. I'm being super judgmental. And I have not been able to stop thinking about this. Because if I'm eating a bowl of cereal and you call me, I'm declining your call. I realized I didn't even enjoy talking to people in the lobby. Like when I had milk in my cereal, I was like, let me walk over here. I just got to, because it's supposed to be crunchy while you eat it. But I discovered I have a friend in my life, somebody that is influential in my life. That, that each raisin brand, number one, the soggiest cereal on the planet, but then pours the milk in the bowl and then puts the bowl of cereal in the refrigerator and goes to the gym and then comes back and eats soggy cereal. <laughs> Stacy, what are you doing, man? We're going to have prayer. That's so weird. I think, I think there's probably a verse of scripture about it. I, I don't really know, but... Man, we find out some things when we get together as a family. That's awesome. We spent a lot of time yesterday with family. I went to a family reunion yesterday, and man, I love my family. We looked at old pictures, and we celebrated things, and we laughed, and we joked, and we picked on each other. We had a really good time. Looks a lot what happens when we come into this room, doesn't it? Because this is family. And so if you're looking at family, welcome home. We're glad you're here today. If you have your Bible, you can turn with me to the book of Galatians, uh, chapter 5. And we'll get there in a few minutes. Don't give up on me. And all the scriptures are going to be there for you if you uh, hit the YouVersion Bible app. 
and uh, go to live events and all of the scriptures are there if you'll search for North Park Church. So just look for North Park um, and all the scriptures and notes are there for you. That's a great tool for you because you can save those notes and go back and look at those during the week. So we hope that's a blessing to you. I grew up, as I sat, said, sitting under my dad. My dad's the greatest pastor ever walked the planet. Dad's an amazing man. And, and yesterday I just got to sit with my dad and hang out with mom and dad. And, and, and that was a ton of fun. Um, but as I, I thought back to, to my dad preaching and, and leading services, do you know there were not many services that we had that he didn't sing the same song? There's this song that was my dad's favorite song, still is, and almost every service that I can remember, I'm sure it wasn't every service, but it felt like it. Every service in my mind, we would sing the same song. And this is the way my dad would start. He would say, hey, let's stand and sing that great old song, Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound, saved a wretch like me. And then we'd sing it. So I want us to kind of do that this morning, right? And we're going to start just like my dad would. Are you ready? Here we go. Here we go. Would you stand and sing that great old song, Amazing grace, how sweet the sound. Sing it for us, man. Lead us. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. Was grace as all my heart to fear, and grace my fears relieve. How precious did that grace appear the hour I first believed. Sing fourth verse when we've been there. When Shining as the sun, we've no less days to sing God's praise than when we first begun. You did great. Give yourselves a hand. That's wonderful. Man, that's beautiful. You can be seated. So this song, Amazing Grace, was actually written not by Chris Tomlin, okay? It was written by a man by the name of John Newton. And John Newton wrote this song in 1748. And here's the thing about it. He wrote this song um, coming home from a trip from Africa to England. And he gave his heart, rather, on a ship coming back from Africa to England. Didn't write the song then. But he was coming back on the ship. And a storm just like hit him really hard. And that's when he gave his heart to Jesus. Now, that's that moment in our lives when we're in that moment that we think, God, if you'll help me here, if you'll help me out of this situation, I will give my life to you. How many of you have prayed a prayer like that at some point in your life? We probably all have been in some situation. You thought, God, if you'll get me out of this, I will never do this again. I will never come back to this again. And I can see in that moment that he just, God, if you'll help me through this situation, I don't know that we're going to make it. I will give my life to you. And that's exactly what he did. And so John Newton stepped off that ship in England, a complete completely new man. 
But now here's the thing about this story is I've done a little research on this song. Um, and this surprised me because I didn't know this part of the story. You would think that the person who wrote that song, all right, because you probably, even if you didn't grow up in church, you know that song, right? Everybody kind of knows John 3, 16 and Amazing Grace. You know that song. And, and whoever would have written that song surely would be like as perfect as they come, you know? It'd be like the person like Billy Graham had to have written a song like Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. I was blind, but now I see. But here's what we find. Newton was actually living in a time in human history when people owned and traded slaves. And even as a Christian, he continued to work as a captain on a slave ship for years and invested financially in the slave trade even longer after he made the decision to follow Jesus. And history tells us that decades after he started following Jesus, he finally woke up to this horror of the slave trade, made a 180 and decided to start working to end slavery in England. And he said that his time in the business world would always be a humiliation to him and his life and his legacy. And so he joined leaders in this abolitionist movement in his country. Now, would you have ever thought that the guy who wrote Amazing Grace would have been involved in something as tragic as slavery? And you would have at least thought that the moment that he made the decision to follow Jesus, that he would have left all of that behind and radically made a transformation in his life in that moment. But that's not what history tells us. But here's what I learned from that story. The moment that you decided to follow Jesus... I took you all the way back to the fifth grade in Henderson, North Carolina in a spot kind of like this, right? On a Sunday night, I want you to think about where your moment was that you made that decision to follow Jesus and you put your faith and your trust in him. Here's what I learned. Just because we make the decision in that moment, not everything in our life completely turns around. It is a lifelong process of waking up to new things that we can hand over to Jesus and surrender so that I can grow and I can follow him. Now, for John Newton, that took probably longer than most of us would have wanted that to happen, right? We're like, man, can you imagine someone following Jesus but still making those kinds of choices? His waking up to that, needing to make that change in his life, came later in his life. But the reality is, for many of us, it's exactly the same way. It's just a different thing. We make that decision to follow Jesus, and over time, as we follow him, all of a sudden, the Holy Spirit reveals to us things through our life that we wake up to and we realize we need to surrender these things to Jesus because they don't look anything like his word in the way that it says that we should live. And when you wake up and you realize that you don't like what you've become, you look in the mirror and, and you wake up and the Holy Spirit shows you things in your life that don't look like Jesus and that shouldn't be there. What do we do in those moments? Here's what we do in those moments. We move in a different direction and we do something different. 
The definition of insanity is what? Doing the same things over and over again, expecting to get different results. There's a moment in our life where we have to make a choice to live our lives differently than the way that we've been living them if we want to see something different happen. For some of us, we've been talking about relationships over the last several weeks. If you want something different in your marriage, you've got to wake up. You've got to realize there's some things that we've got to do differently in our life if we want to see some different results. And is that going to be easy? Of course not. Life change is not always easy. Sometimes it's very difficult. I don't know if you know much about me, but I have an addiction in my life to to diet Dr. Pepper and Coke Zero. I think it's the greatest thing on the planet. And someone shamed me about two weeks ago, Julie T., and made me decide that that was not a good thing. And she sent me an article and everything, 19 reasons why you shouldn't drink diet soft drinks. And I read the article, and I was angry. I was angry at the Holy Spirit and Julie T. And I'm like, okay, I probably don't need to do this. I probably need to finally let this go. And tomorrow, two weeks, I haven't had a Coke Zero or a Diet Dr. Pepper. If there was one sitting on that table right now, I'd drink it. Man, I, I want one so bad. Making decisions in your life to do something different is very difficult. I don't know why it is that life change can be so drastically difficult in our life. But the reality is we have to do it anyway. And we have to give ourselves some time. And we have to give ourselves some grace. But ultimately, as we follow Jesus, we need to live our lives in a different way. Now, we've talked a lot in this setting about the difference in confession and repentance. Those are two very different things. The Bible says if you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus rose from the dead, that he's Lord and Savior, that you can invite him into your heart and he will wash you as as white as snow. Cast your sins as far as the east is from the west and never to be remembered again. The Bible says if you confess your sins, he's faithful and just, will forgive you of your sins and cleanse you from unrighteousness, right? So you can make this decision to follow him and confession is the first part of that, right? So salvation comes through your confession your confession of your sins and your confession that you need Jesus to be your savior, inviting him into your heart, confessing that I am a follower of Jesus. All of that has everything to do with a decision that you make in your heart and something that you confess with your mouth. But here's what I want you to also see. That's not all there is to it. Because the Bible talks so much about repentance and repentance and confession are two completely different things. I remember growing up, man, I'd be very quick to confess my sins. Why? Because it would relieve me of my guilt. And I would come into church like this and I would pray, Lord, please forgive me of all the stuff I've done this week. Forgive me of everything I did this weekend. Like, forgive me of all this stuff. Very quick to confess my sins. I've always been that way. Why? Because I don't like the guilt that I have that comes as a result of sin in my life. And so I'll, I'll repent quick or I'll confess quick. But then the second part of that is repentance. And what repentance means is I'm going to make a confession to live my life for Jesus. But repentance is a position of my heart that basically says I'm going to live a different way now. I like to use the word repath instead of repent. We need to make a confession to invite Jesus into our heart. But then there needs to be a repath, another way to live our life. We're walking in this direction, not following Jesus. We confess that in our heart. We confess that in our mouth. And now we're going to repent and we're going to walk down a different path because that path wasn't leading us to Jesus. 
And I think that's where some of us fall short. We don't always want that repath. Like we want to confess. We want to be free from the guilt. We want to be free from the shame. We want to be free from the sin. But the reality is we aren't always great at the life change part. I want you to think about it. Since you made a decision to follow Jesus, what parts of you have already changed? And for some of you, it's been big change. I mean, I've heard some of the wives in the room talk about husbands and how different my husband is since they followed Jesus. I hear that a lot at North Park. I see this child in my life that, that, that made a decision to follow Jesus, and now they, they, they're different. What's happening? There's some things changing in our lives. But here's a big question. What parts of you still need to be changed? Now, we say this all the time. We exist to lifelong followers of Jesus. And we also say this about North Park, that this is a place where nobody's perfect. We like that part. Where everybody's accepted. We like that part. But what's the third part? We are being changed. We are being transformed by the power of the Holy Spirit. There's got to be some transformation that happens in our life as we follow him. Let me take you to to 1 Corinthians chapter 3, even before we go to Galatians 5. But this is what Paul writes to the Corinthian church in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verses 11 and 12. We know this as the love chapter, right? That's that whole verse of scripture that talks about how love is patient and love is kind. And it, it talks all this beautiful stuff about love. You probably got that on a plaque in your home somewhere. But these are the verses that immediately follow that passage. This is what it says. When I was a child, I spoke and thought and reasoned as a child. But when I grew up, what did I do? I put away childish things for the most part. <laughs> I was talking to a mom about her teenage son yesterday, and, and, and I said, your son is doing such an amazing job. And I said, I, I, he's, 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 he's growing and he's developing. And she said, yeah, he's a boy trying to be a man, you know? And I thought, wow, that's not just descriptive of every man that I know. <laughs> We're boys trying to be a man. Most of the time I'm a man who acts a lot like a boy, right? But, but the verse says, as I grew up, the the idea is to put away some childish things. And now when we see things imperfectly, Paul says we see things like a, a puzzling reflection in a mirror. I go back in my mind to a circus. Have you ever been to a circus and you've been to the fun house or the thing at the fair where they've got the mirrors that are kind of distorted and, and you look in the mirror and you look really tall, you look really wide and, and, and they're very distorted. My mind also went back to when I got my iPad for the very first time, the best app that ever existed on an iPad was a photo booth. Do you know what I mean? And we, what, what did you do? You sit hours on there just like taking pictures of yourself and sending them to people with big eyes and I would always make my nose really small because I've always been self-conscious of my nose and I always do that one to make my nose really small and 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 so we would distort things right but it says that, that we we look at things now imperfectly almost like these pleasant puzzling reflections in a mirror but then it's talking about when we get to heaven then one day we're gonna see things with perfect clarity All that I know now is partial. What I see now, it's just a small piece of the puzzle. That's why for those of you who are struggling with some stuff today, and you're going through some stuff, and you're ready to give up, we look at you and scream, you hold on, because this is just a small piece of the puzzle. All you see is something that's incomplete and impartial. 
But he goes on to say, but then I'm going to know everything completely, just as God now knows me completely. Now, here's the thing. Back in biblical times, mirrors weren't as they are today. I mean, we look in a mirror today, and we can see something that's perfectly clear. But back in those days, they would actually use polished metal as, as a mirror. And so no matter how great the mirror was, they never could quite see things clearly. Everything was unclear and somewhat distorted. And Paul is saying that's the way some of us, we look at our lives. We're not seeing clearly. We don't see things the way that we should. And the reality is one day we will get to see those things. But right now, we don't see them so well. And so we've got to make sure that we're allowing the Holy Spirit to help open our eyes and our hearts to some things in our life that have no business being there. We have some things in our hearts, some baggage that we're carrying around in this life that we should have surrendered a long time ago, but for some reason, we still hold on to these things. And so until then, until we rejoice around the throne of God with, for all eternity, how do we measure our own spiritual maturity? I, I, I pray a lot. I'm going to be honest with you. God, help me know if I'm winning here. Help me know if I'm doing this the right way. I don't see things so clearly sometimes. Help me to know if I am the father that you want me to be. Help me to know if I'm the husband that you want me to be. Help me to know if we're getting this right, you know? If we're even on track here. How do we track our own spiritual maturity? What does it look like to have a, a relationship with, with Jesus? And, and I want you to realize, for those of you who have not made that decision to follow him yet, let me just tell you what it is. It is a personal growing relationship with the Savior of the world who loves you and gave his life for you and knows you by name. And it's not about perfection. It's not about being perfect. We'll never be perfect. But it's about growing every single day to be more and more and more and more and more like him. And it is a journey that is filled with some incredible experiences. And every day I seem to learn something new. And there's a lot of people that I think they equate spiritual maturity with knowledge. If you know a lot about God's word, if you have a lot of knowledge in your head, like you know a lot about the Bible, then somehow that makes you mature. But I'm here to tell you today that knowledge does not equal maturity. Because we study the Bible a lot. And I've met some people who have studied the Bible for years and years and years and years and years. But their life doesn't look anything like what the Bible says that our lives should look like. Bob Goff is one of my favorite act, authors, not actors, but favorite authors. And, and he talks about how so many of us in the church, like, it's all about Bible study. We grew up studying the Bible. We, so for some of you, you went to church Sunday morning for Sunday school, and then you go to worship on Sunday morning like we do here, and then you go back on Sunday night, and you go back on Wednesday night. And for others of you, you, like, you showed up on Thursday night for prayer. Like, in my house, if the doors were open, you were there. I think about Mark Lowry, the comedian. He said, every time the doors were open, you were there. And, and sometimes he would look at his dad and go, I'm, I'm too sick to go to church. And his dad would say, well, throw up and prove it. And if you didn't throw up, you went to church. And if you did throw up, he would say, now don't you feel better? Let's go to church. Like it just, you were there, you know? He even said if the pastor was there to, to, to clean the windows, you filled the seat and you watched him do it. We just, we just grew up in church. And we study it, and we study it, and we study it. The problem is, 
We don't always do it. We don't always live it out. We know what his word says. We just don't always do it. And growing up, some of the people that, that I felt like should have been the most mature spiritual people in my life were often the most smug. They were often the most bitter, the most arrogant and divisive, judgmental. I'm gonna be honest, some of the people in my church growing up that thought they were the most spiritual were actually some of the meanest people I've ever met in my life. Knowledge does not equal maturity. I've heard this phrase for years, and, and I used to like the phrase, I really did, because there's, there's some value to it, but here's the phrase. I'm not where I want to be, but I'm better than I used to be. Now, I think that's probably what a lot of us would say if we had to describe where we are on this journey with Jesus. I'm not where I used to be. I'm so much better than I used to be. I'm not where I want to be, but I'm better than I used to be. Here's why I don't like that. The goal is not to be better. The goal is to be more like him. Bob Goff puts it this way, and it's kind of our big eye for today, and I want you to write this down. This is what he says. Jesus doesn't want us to be better versions of ourselves. But here's what we're striving for, to be a more accurate reflection of him. Of him. I got to pick on Wendy just a little bit. My son is 16, and he was driving his car. She's already putting something over her face. He was driving his car this week, and he told me, he said, Dad, I got the bird for the first time this week. So he was pretty excited about it. I get the bird about every week. I'm not a very good driver, and there's probably at least once a week that somebody gives me the California how-do. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? And, and they're, you know, they're not going, you're number one, man. You're a good driver. I get that occasionally. And, and, and so Micah said, Dad, I, I got the bird for the very first time and I said really did you I said how'd that make you feel he said it was kind of weird she looked like Wendy <laughs> Wendy's on our worship team and I was like man I, I promise you it wasn't Wendy he's like I know it wasn't but it did kind of look like her and I said that to Wendy and this was her response well it's okay because I don't have that Jesus fish on the back of my car they don't know I'm a Christian so it's like it's okay as long as they don't know right I'll never forget one day I was in a parking lot and I, I don't know why it is we lose our mind like we lose our sanctification that's a really fancy word for spiritual maturity and being set apart. Like I, I, we lose our minds when we get behind our cars, behind our, our wheels. I don't know why that is. And this guy like kind of cut me off one day in a parking lot and I kind of looked out and, and he was looking at me as if I was the one who had messed up. And normally, you know, I would have been like, I'm so sorry. Yes, that was me. I am so sorry. You know, I, I ran a four-way stop sign just this week and my wife was yelling at me. I was like, what? I didn't see it. You know, so that happens kind of occasionally. And, and, and so that really happens a lot, y'all. You need to pray. It's a miracle that I'm alive. Um, but on this particular occasion, I hadn't done anything wrong. And I don't know. I was just like, I kind of keyed up in that moment. And that guy like was really fussing at me. And it was an older guy. And I just slammed on the brake and I opened my door and I got out of my car and I literally, what? Bring it on. And the guy was like, woo, woo, and drove away. And now I'm standing outside of my car going, what am I doing? Why am I out of the car? You know, and, and I realized at that time I had a car that literally had a sticker on the back that said North Park Church. You matter to God and you matter to us. And I'm like, 
what in the world? What am I doing? So I took that sticker off and put Life Point Church on the back of my car. No, I'm kidding. I love Pastor Don. <laughs> so crazy why we do that stuff. Like we do so well, and then in moments, we just lose our ever-loving mind. Here's the question. How does someone know if you were a lifelong follower of Jesus? Well, they know because we put the sticker on the car or we wear our shirt that says, you know, lifelong, right? We, we, we wear our gear and that's how people know that we're followers of Jesus. No, that's not what Jesus said. Jesus didn't say, hey, those of you who are followers, those of you who are disciples, those of you who love me and make a decision to, to, to allow me to be your Lord and Savior, people are going to know that because you wear the right t-shirt or, or, or you say the right things. No, 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 that's not what he said. He said, they will know your fruit and they will recognize it. By your fruit, they will recognize that you were a follower of Jesus. What he's saying is, is they will watch your life. And by the way that they see you treat other people, and by the way that you respond to certain situations, that's how they're going to know the real you. That's how they're going to know that you were a disciple. I was reading this week about CEOs and the way that they do job interviews and how most people can fake it, you know, in an hour interview. I mean, some people just interview well. And so CEOs were saying, you know what, we got to do this different because we're not seeing the real people. And so this one CEO, this was really in, in kind of creative to me, um, he would actually schedule a very early breakfast appointment for an interview. And so we wanted to see how punctual people could be in the morning. And then he would even get there early to the restaurant and make sure that the waiter knew that no matter what that person ordered, mess their meal up. Because I want to see how they really respond in a situation like that. That's when true character begins to come out. Well, what's this person doing? He's looking for fruit. He's not just looking for words that come out of a mouth, but he's looking for, for fruit. He's looking at, at how a person lives their life and treats other people and responds in certain situations. And that's kind of what Jesus said. People are going to know that you are my follower, that you are a disciple by the fruit that's in your life. And Paul actually points in Galatians chapter 5 to two different types of fruit. And, and basically what he says is this is what fruit looks like. Because as we say all the time, you're full of something. The question is, what are you full of? And Paul says that, that, that those people who are not transformed by the power of the Holy Spirit, here's some fruit that we're going to see in their life. He says, when you follow the desires of your sinful nature, the results are very clear. That's what he says. Sexual immorality, impurity, lustful pleasures idolatry or worshiping other things other than God, sorcery, and, and help me to get this right. Why? Because I fail at it every day. Every day. I was praying at a high school basketball game recently. Um, sometimes I get the opportunity to do that before the game starts. And, and I prayed a powerful prayer, y'all. I mean, I was praying the fire down. And this is what I prayed. Lord Jesus, in this sporting event, May every word that's spoken in this gym and every action bring glory and honor to you. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. And then about somewhere in the third quarter, 
Ferg, I lost my mind. And it wasn't even my wife that spoke these next words. It was some other woman. I don't even know who it was. But these are the words that I heard. Hey, pastor, those words reflect Jesus. Isn't that the prayer you just prayed? And I'm like, get behind me, Satan, in the name of Jesus. (laughs) But it's true. And we can pray the powerful prayers and we can strive and work so hard at this, but we're going to come up short. So what do we do? We just keep moving in the right direction. You know, one of my favorite characters in the Bible, his name is David, King David. Same David that slew slew Goliath the giant, you know, that same dude. That shepherd boy, that same guy. Man, such a powerful young man of God. The Bible says that when God anointed him as the next king of Israel, that the power of God came, came upon him. I mean, this was a warrior king. I mean, this is a guy that the Bible describes. Listen to this. A man after God's own heart. I want to be described that way. And I want Jesus to look at me and say, that's my boy. That is a man after my own heart. I mean, we say that to each other sometimes, right? A guy walks in with our favorite school colors on, you know, and we have find something in common. You know, what do we say? Oh, you're a man after my own heart. I love you, but I don't want to be a man after your heart. I want Jesus to say, that's a man after my heart. I want Jesus to say, well done, thy good and faithful servant. But do you realize that same guy, David, that God described as a man after my own heart, was the same guy who committed adultery with Bathsheba, was also the same guy that conspired to have her husband killed to cover up his sin. Same guy. And it wasn't like God said, that's a man after my own heart. Fast forward, fast forward, fast forward. David's bad choices. No, 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 no. You got to get the timetable right. He made the choices. And later in his life, God described him as, yeah, even in all of that mess, man after my own heart. Why? I struggled with that for years. Why? How could, how could David, with the blood on his hands and the choices that he made, still be described as a man after God's own heart? And I think it's this. He was so quick to repent. As soon as his eyes were opened, and soon as he realized the depth of his sin, he didn't excuse it. He didn't make excuses for it. He didn't try to act like it didn't happen. He didn't try to rationalize it. But as soon as his eyes were open and he was aware that something in his life didn't look like God, the Bible says that he fell on his knees and he cried out in repentance. God's not looking perfection. But he is looking for a repentant heart. For a man or a woman, a boy or a girl who's just completely surrendered to him. You're not going to get it right all the time. That's not the point. But the point is that every day you make a decision. I want to live for him. Let's make that decision today.